Welcome to Reinventing Strategy podcast, which is a podcast series where we discuss all things related to business and strategy. On this very cold but beautiful morning, I've got the pleasure of joining uh, Reko, my friend and colleague, uh, to discuss our predictions that we set out in our previous episode just about one year ago, titled What are the trends that will shape 2021? Reko, good to have you here in our virtual podcast studio uh, again. Thanks, Petri. Looking forward to um, seeing seeing where we went with the uh, the guesses. In, indeed, and uh, it's a shame it's still a virtual studio. Uh, the COVID is still keeping us in a remote mode. Hopefully, that will go away soon. But it's it's interesting. So it's almost like reflecting back on yesterday's weather forecast. So. I'm a little bit nervous, but uh, we listened to the podcast and uh, we wanted to give you an update on what we were thinking one year ago about the forces that are shaping the year that we just ended. And then we can reflect on what actually happened around those uh, trends. Would that be okay, Reko? That sounds good. And I, I guess we at least got a few things right, but then <laughs> then, the, then there are a few that uh, we'll get into the bottom, bottom off. Exactly. Do you want to start by going through your thoughts from previous year? I'll be happy to. So if I list, I think I had four key themes on my list of predictions for 2021. And if I go through them quickly, so the first one was my thinking on rebalancing global economy. So when we went into 2021, uh, we could see that uh, from the major markets, uh, China was the only one growing significantly while the others were lagging behind China. So I was thinking that uh, we will see some rebalancing of uh, global economy from that perspective. The second one, and now we need to also remember the time we were discussing previously. So that was just after the election in the US for president. I predicted that uh, this year will be an acid test of democracy. We were discussing quite a bit uh, the freedom of speech and the acceleration of it and the destruction of publication monopoly enabled by social media platforms and so forth. So that was one theme that I felt that is going to be a significant driver and factor for 2021. The third one on my list was... Uh, accelerated business innovation. And this was stemming from the fact that COVID had uh, brought many businesses to a life-threatening situation where change was a must, innovation was a must. And that kind of uh, teached businesses that they can change. And uh, I was predicting that 2021 will be applying those learnings in not only a survival mode, but also in growth mode. And, and the fourth one on my list was a shift in consumer behavior. So I was expecting people and consumers to move more from materialism to consuming more meaningful things that would kind of uh, drive diminishing returns on material in people's lives. So those were the four trends and predictions I put forward one year ago. How about you, Rego? What did you have on your list? Yeah, I think we we pretty much thought in the same same ways. You were you were focusing on China and and 
I was I was thinking small and and looking at looking at US, which has been the driver for uh, for the global economy and and I, I guess also security for the last fifty years. And I guess one of the predictions was that as as there was a political shift in US at the time that we were we were doing this. Uh, we were predicting a growth of the green agenda, but at the same time, I was concerned at the time uh, with the rise rise of the right in in both Finland, uh, Europe, and US, and, and that will continue and strengthen. And then um, I, I guess the other thing related to that political shift on the background there was this business of data, and I I guess at that time. There was more and more public visibility on on what that data had actually done in the background for for Facebooks and and for Googles, and I, I predicted that this is the year when the business of data will be better understood. Going on, you know, relying on data, reliance on on facts, at the same time that the facts were different for many people. So how how to move forward from this uh, was was one of the one of the questions and, and how to build real reliable business ethics and AI ethics. Then the uh, third topic was the change in environmental topics in and environmental policies, especially in EU. There, there was at the time and, and still is a, a strong regulatory shift in EU, but also China was pushing forward uh, some at least visible media sexy changes so that they would be seen as an environmentally friendly nation. And I guess final point was to talk about what were the what are the changes in the structure of business? How will companies operate in the future? We saw some signs of ecosystems, value networks rising, and also uh, new ways of organizing and working together. So this um, gig econo- economy and, and people shifting work from, from traditional companies to just uh, more open work. Those were the things that I predicted would change in 2021, driven by COVID. But Let's maybe reflect how how we did. I, I think there are, I, I guess, three main things that we can we can look at and use as a lens to investigate how how things are looking. Do you want to Petri take that and and move forward? Yes, thank you, Reko. And I think even though you said we were pretty aligned on the overall themes, but I think they were really complementary also because what you had on your list was really on the outskirts of my trends and and really complementing them. So if we now look at what happened, like you said, we can, I think, recognize three three things or trends that uh, we, we can elaborate a little bit more where we were on the right tracks, at least. And the first one, I thought we could discuss is the emergence of radical business innovation and how we saw this in practice. So what new types of business models we've seen that have challenged the status quo of the traditional models. So 
the first one, I wanted to start this from more of a personal observation. I think now that uh, social distancing was still prevailing quite a bit, and, and this had started already previous year, I think many businesses were adapting to the new model where consumers were not gathering in different uh, service provider locations, but rather being more at home or other sort of places of remote locations, which really raised the need of services and products being brought to their doorstep. And I think I can see some features that reminds me of what happened with Amazon at the early stages of Evcom, where they aggregated also independent retailers into their marketplace offering, leveraging their umbrella of e-commerce platform and logistic services. And logistic services, I think, is key here because now the location shifted, people are home. And I, I can see that um, there are new logistics enabled business models that kind of hijack some of the uh, uh, places that retail traditionally used to have. And for me, for example, if you look at uh, restaurant services, uh, service providers like Vault, I believe they have hijacked a bit of the service and experience that uh, the individual restaurants used to be delivering to consumers previously. So for example, I don't, if, if I'm sitting at home like today, working and want to get some lunch, maybe later on today, I may not actually browse the sites, the websites of the restaurants, but I actually use the Vault service as the aggregated service provider with the selection of assortment available to me, which means that actually it is a logistics motivated service provider who is hijacking a holistic customer service in, in that that area. But I believe, Reko, you've also been working in this logistics area quite a bit recently. So what's your take on this uh, role of logistics and last mile specifically in terms of disrupting uh, traditional business models? Yeah, I think this this was a really interesting uh, look. And I, I, I think naturally the radical business innovation goes goes so much further than this, but this is actually a really good lens in, in looking at what's changed and what's uh, what the possible impact of uh, COVID has been. So as you said, I, I think exactly the that the last mile is the thing has that has changed and needs to change uh, in the future to be more effective. And Amazon and, and these other companies that created the, the first shift uh, in the retail market were pretty much dependent in overnight delivery. And Naturally, Amazon has been building their own fleet to, to start driving a more frequent delivery time, uh, time schedule, which is not dependent on overnights and the traditional cargo model. But now what Walt has been doing is, is building their own fleet in order to A, deliver faster, but also to be able to deliver multi-point services. So from many locations to many locations, which is a different logistics model than can be delivered by, say, companies that have a central storage. So that's one shift. But the, the, the other one is really the shift from products to actually services being delivered immediately when the consumer wants them. 
so as as you said in your example that if you want lunch now and you have a, a few places to select from you don't want to wait until next day to get that which has been the delivery model before you you would like to have it exactly now and i i think this is this is going to be the competitive ground and as you very well pointed out there is there is at least two competitive arenas one is the actual logistics chain which needs to change radically in order to to drive this exactly now on my doorstep type of model but the other one is then who is controlling the time and eyeball of the of the consumer in in terms of uh, what selection kind of selection integration as you said you wouldn't go onto the website of a certain company but you would actually go onto the website of food or our world to actually select then i i think this is this is definitely a worldwide phenomena and also related to the shift we see in the workplace and and shift we see in the in the ways people will work in the future because i i think the covid change will stay with us for the uh, for the time being yeah and that's that's very true and i think this is a shift that has been triggered by covid but i think it's still serving some real needs and it will not go away after covid hopefully we get rid of covid or at least normalize uh, situation a little bit i think also one additional aspect here is that uh, i can see that um, the logistics providers are also uh, consolidating services across traditional e-com players as well. For example, the reverse logistics. So they, they are kind of uh, providing new services uh, on, on that side of, as well. So you don't need to deal with the actual retailers, but you can actually uh, perform your returns and stuff like that. Many other services with the logistics providers. So uh, again, a multi-point, multi-point uh, kind of a model as you, as you greatly outlined. And then also to add that it's not just a, a pink and fluffy discussion, but actual market is expecting quite a bit of growth potential in this area. If you only look at the world and DoorDash transaction and the valuation of it, it, it clearly expects quite a bit of potential here going forward. So that was that was a really good. Thanks a lot for the uh, very elaborate reflections on, on, on this area. I'd suggest we move on to our second theme that we can elaborate and reflect a little bit on and and i thought we could talk about the growth of green agenda because it's 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 close to both of our hearts but it's also a very important topic and i think there's also quite significant business potential and implications in this area and i i wanted to introduce us to this through a cost item of green agenda we've recently seen what people may refer to as energy crisis, the, the price increase in energy on a global level. And I kind of see a silver lining here as well, because if you look at the sources of the price increase, I can see a couple of really uh, environmentally driven uh, drivers behind this. For example, China has been activating itself quite uh, heavily. They blocked coal import from Australia, which has been their largest source of imported coal. And they've been implementing fairly rigorous decarbonization regime 
some people say partially because of the uh, Winter Olympics, they want to ensure blue skies and demonstrate their commitment to environmental issues. So I think that that is a positive uh, driver behind a negative or cost impact. So the green agenda may have a cost, and, and we can see this in, in terms of energy crisis. And also in, in Europe, Euractive is reporting that uh, the Europe, Europe's climate actions account for one-fifth of the energy price increase due to rising CO2 pricing on the EU's carbon market. Again, price increase driven largely by environmental uh, reasons. And then South America, largely depending on hydropower, and uh, the environmental shift has been uh, impacting that as well uh, through record droughts in the area, meaning that the capacity of hydropower has dropped significantly. So I kind of uh, see that uh, the, the energy crisis, as, as we, we call it, is actually a reflection of the green agenda, at least partly. And, and interesting to see how we continue from here, but I can see some quite clear paths on this. Thanks, Petri. This was um, actually educational. This shifted some blocks in my head as well. And naturally, it's, it's political in, in nature as well. China, as you say, is, is also wanting to look like the, the, the savior for, for the environmental topics, uh, despite being quite a strong polluter. In, in US, one, one thing that you didn't notice, and it's also related to the politics, is that the petrol price growth in US is starting to reach a really painful mark. And, and that, will, that will cause some real trouble for the current political party in, in power, the Democrats. Because if all of that will be basically their, their failure, if the petrol price continues to grow. And, and that will also affect the green agenda topic. So how strongly can they actually push for green topics in US will depend on, on the petrol price, which is a, a fairly, fairly significant problem. And one thing that we've been reflecting as well, which was on the back of my mind, what will happen so with the energy in in overall in in the aggregate in the world and we we've been discussing that the the green agenda might affect the consumption of energy in the short term but i i actually uh, hold that the more we advance the more advanced technology that we use also shown by uh, bitcoin by the way which is a, a huge energy uh, consumption driver, we will we will consume more energy. So so definitely, I, I think this trend will not go away, and this energy crisis will continue to stay until we get some some proper sources of energy. And I, I, I think, being the technologist that I am, I, I actually trust that technology will deliver, and it it is already delivering. We are we are seeing these uh, micronuclear sites being discussed and even being deployed. I, I think there is some discussion if, of having this in, in Helsinki. And I, I think these might actually save us and, and save the green agenda once we solve that part of the energy crisis. Yes, I, I, I fully agree. And uh, I, I fully agree also with your notion of energy consumption uh, short to midterm not going down. 
in sort of efficiency on a unit level consumption may increase, but the use cases will increase as well. So the total consumption, I think, will will continue until some point in time. So that's that's and highly political, as you said, highly political and also highly sort of uh, linked to all the economical, macroeconomical things happening, inflation and so forth. So a, a key driver for economies, definitely. Maybe we move on to the final topic that we wanted to discuss, which is a, a big one as well. And, and this is the 2021 being an acid test for democracy. The radical freedom of speech, which is causing some repercussions in the world. And then also the data in business, data used in business and Europe's role in it. I think this is really interesting. As, as we've been discussing, the social media platforms have received a ton of pressure to clean up their act because they've been seen as the bad guys allowing free speech and, and false facts to be distributed for multiple uh, purposes. And I think if we go back and see what kind of pressure the social media platforms have been receiving, I think it started with the copyright-related demands, with which created some really interesting new capabilities also in, for example, AI-based music detection, because they use this so-called fingerprinting capability that enables the social media platforms to detect the music used in the content that their users upload onto the platform, and then rightfully uh, direct the revenues and, and royalties from the use of their IPR on, on the content to the right owner. So I think that was kind of the start, the copyright uh, discussion the meme act, as some people were saying. But then I think that spread towards sort of fact-checking. So this moved a bit towards the journalist territory, making making the social media platforms somewhat responsible for monitoring that their users do not spread false facts on, on their platforms. And this resulted in some really high-profile user bans and stuff like that, that we all know of. And then also the implications that we've seen uh, just recently, the European Union slapped some significant fines on Google and Facebook for some of their failings around easy cookie opt-out options and stuff like that. So the pressure really is on specifically in Europe, which has been driving data privacy on, on a high agenda. And then my final Observation here is is really interesting. So if you look at the stock relative stock performance of the so-called FANG companies, so Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google, the tech giants, they performed really well still in 2020. Actually, they contributed to 25% of the total shareholder share returns in the US market. But come November, 2021, their contribution had dropped to only 3% of the total share returns in the US market. So that said that two things happened. The FANG company share prices were not performing as well as they used to be. And other share prices in other industries were catching up in terms of performance. So I think this is a really interesting and, and, and a major topic to discuss. And Reko, I know you have some really interesting points of views on this. So what's your take on, on this one? I, I think you somewhat emptied the topic already. I, <laughs> I, I think the main 
main big thing is that, that this is something that we got right, I think, in, in our discussion a year ago. So, so the, the meaning and, and the role of data in companies and, and the use of data is really now picking up. And I, I, I think that the last point that you made about the, the fan companies, stock performance, I, I, would, I would venture to say that that's, that's really driven by the, the fact that other people, uh, that other companies are catching catching in on the trend and, and starting to also understand the value of data. And I, I think what's happening in EU at the moment is that we are starting to find that EU is, is really putting their foot down on, on the use of data and enabling a fair data ecosystem, fair data environment to, to spring up. And as, as we reflected already a year ago, this might be a, a good way for Europe to actually compete in the market in the future. And, and this uh, find that you talked about is EU's way of showing that this is, this is a safe haven. Google and Facebook are not so dominant as, as, to, as to basically put a stopper on EU's thinking on, on free speech and, and free use of, of data. And I, I think that's, that, that trend will definitely continue into, uh, into 2022. So, uh, yeah, I, I think this is, this is something that I would, I would like to see growing more. And, and this will also fully reflect on the, on the political circle system. So, so this democracy is only as strong as, as how we protect our data, I believe. So this, this maybe shapes also the, the trends for the decade, not, not just for next year. Yeah, I was about to comment that that is very strong perspective that I, I fully sign up to. And uh, with that, that was a really good elaboration on, on the topic. Unfortunately, we don't have time to go into the next round of our predictions today in this podcast. Uh, and I was thinking, why should we even follow up on the weather forecast from one year ago, what actually happened? I think it's very useful because um, then you kind of um, adjust your model because, as we agree, well, businesses will have to adjust continuously. And uh, by doing this kind of reflection, I, I just realized once we did this, it gave, gave us some some tools to understand how the prediction models actually work and 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 this could be used in 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 kind of coming up with your own strategic responses to to the changes that we forecast but but reko always a pleasure thank you so much for sharing your elaborate thoughts on on our previous predictions and what happened uh, really interesting and i'm sure we'll have many many more themes spinning out of this for future episodes of this podcast but thank you very much for joining me today Thanks, Petri. Always a pleasure. And thanks also to all of our listeners. Very, very happy if you find our podcast and listen to it. And uh, please follow us and provide comments and um, challenge our thoughts. We would very much welcome that. Thank you very much, everyone.